You know, uh, my name is Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts uh, here at K2. And um, I'm looking forward to the next few minutes we have to spend together. We're in a series called uh, Imagine Heaven. And we're looking at a book of the same title. Uh, and that book recounts multiple near-death experiences. And what we're doing is we're looking at that and seeing how do those match up with what the Bible says about heaven. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Today we're going to be talking about what we're calling the most beautiful place and trying to understand what heaven is going to be like. Uh, and if you, ha if you missed the last two weeks, I just encourage you, uh, you really need to go check those out. Some really, really amazing stuff, amazing truths in the previous two weeks. So definitely check those out. But before we dive into uh, understanding what these five-star accommodations are going to be like in, our, in the afterlife. I just kind of want to sort of uh, create a baseline for you to understand how, uh, bless you, how I'm going to be uh, attacking this topic. How are we going to be looking at this topic? C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says, we are very shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We're afraid of the jeer about pie in the sky and of being told that we're trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into dreams of a happy world elsewhere. But either there is pie in the sky or there is not. If there is not, then Christianity is false, for the doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced, whether it is useful at political meetings or no. See, either heaven, this principle of heaven that's woven through all of Scripture, it's either true and Christianity is true, or it's not true and the whole thing is false. And the baseline that I want to work from this morning is that I have full belief that there is pie in the sky, there is heaven, an actual literal place. And I want to talk about that this morning. And the, you, many, many people, many people, Maybe even some of you here this morning could be tempted to believe that the concept of heaven is this pie in the sky, this, this uh, fabricated hope for the future because we're not very hopeful today or a crutch to lean on. Some of you may even say, listen, I believe in science, not religion. And here's what I want to say, that even science now is pointing more and more to the probability of heaven. And in many ways, you must almost deny science to believe that there is no heaven. Check this out. These two guys, Kaluza and Klein, they're uh, physicists, and they came up with the Kaluza-Klein theory. Super creative title. And uh, the Kaluza-Klein theory is just, uh, it's, it's about electromagnetism and gravitational force and all kinds of stuff. I don't even really fully understand it. Here's what I want you to understand about the theory is that it's based on the understanding that there is a fifth dimension outside of the four dimensions that we live in. And it's a precursor to this thing called string theory. You've probably heard of that. And string theory, in a 10-second overview, is basically the theory in science that says all of the subatomic particles and everything are tied together. They become strings that hold the universe together. That theory, here Brian Greene, who's uh, uh, at Columbia University, he's a physicist and one of the professors there, he says this, what we observe in quantum mechanics and general relativity only fit together if there are six hidden dimensions to space. 
See, we know Einstein talked about wormholes and we know about black holes, right? And when you hear people so often describe their journey into heaven in their near-death experiences, they talk about going through these tunnels. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I also know that scientists now are postulating that our universe is only one of multiple universes. So, if science is pointing us to the probability, actually even necessity of heaven or a, a, a additional dimensions, I believe that the Bible points to those dimensions and says heaven and then goes on to tell us that our best way of experiencing a taste of what heaven will be like when we get there is by looking at the glory of what's around us on this earth. The beauty of this earth points us to the realities of God, and it's our best way of understanding what heaven's going to be like. I want to look at this verse. It's Isaiah 6, 3, and it says this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. So this earth contains the glory of God. And, you know, I, I probably don't have to convince you. We live in Utah, right? That's God's backyard. But I want you to take, it a, take a look at a couple pictures here. First one is Mirror Lake. That perfect reflection. It's almost like a pic. Well, I mean, it is a picture, but I mean, it's, it's like a Bob Ross painting, right? <laughs> uh, check this Golden Cathedral Grand Staircase. Oh, my goodness, amazing. And you have Cedar Breaks National Monument. Stunning. A uh, place I vow to hike the Narrows in Zion. Mesa Arch, sunrise landscape. This is what it looks like in the morning. Wow. And finally, look at this. This is a delicate arch at nighttime. Here's what I, check this out. You're looking at this picture and you see the finiteness of the man or the woman, whoever it is standing there, and you look at the beauty of the sky and the stars. Here's what I know. The sun is 870,000 miles wide and the largest star that we know is 250 times bigger than the sun. <laughs> you start to understand our finite nature and the amazement and the reality of additional dimensions beyond this earth. A little girl was taking an evening walk with her father. Wonderingly, she looked up at the stars and saw the beauty of the sky, and she says to her dad, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be? <laughs> That's perspective. Think about this. As earth is to heaven, like these two-dimensional flat representations of actually being in any of these places. See, there's just no way to capture in two dimensions what it's like to actually experience. How many of you have been to any of those places that I showed? Would you rather look at the pictures or go there again? Right. Because being in the place is so much grander. And that's what these two-dimensional pictures are like. It's, yeah, you can kind of see it. We just, we just sang the song, Indescribable. And it says, from creation's heights to its depths, everything proclaims the glory of God. And that's how we can get a taste of what heaven is going to be like. And we need to realize that 
that, that all of this beauty and wonder and amazement and joy and happiness and all that stuff is just this flat black and white representation of the future multi-dimensional heaven that we will experience when we die. And what about you? What do you imagine heaven to be like when you think about it? You know, when you start thinking about it, it is it the kind of thing that you think, oh, I can't wait to be there? I bet if we're really honest with ourselves, we would say that we've actually kind of become attached to a lot of stuff in this world. Kind of like it down here. I'm kind of nervous about dying. So, but this is what, what, what's amazing, that we should be living for the life to come. And the earth is filled with his glory. You think about this. All of the things that we love in this life, they come from God. But that world that we're going to isn't completely different. It's just immensely better. And, and, and if the beauty, all this beauty and all the glory and the wonder and all the stuff that we see is just a finger pointing at the creator, why would we think that the world that operates completely under the way and will of God would be any less beautiful than this earth? See, this earth is actually just a broken, marred version of what heaven is going to be like. And we know that heaven is what this earth should be. Before I go any further, I just want to take a look. Over the last couple weeks, we've seen the testimony of a couple different people. Uh, Don Piper, who was the guy 90 minutes in heaven. He was dead, run over by a semi, 90 minutes. And then we have uh, the spine surgeon, Dr. Mary Neal. And I want you to just take a look at their account of the beauty that they experienced when they entered heaven. So take us back to that day you saw the 18-wheeler come. What was the next memory you had? Well, I took my last breath on the bridge, and I was, uh, my next breath was at one of the 12 gates of heaven. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this, this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up. And I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and, and um, heaven's never going to be less than that. It's always going to be more. Yeah. In heaven, it's all big. I mean, it, it so far transcends any words that we can happen, that we could come up with here. If you want to talk about uh, uh, meadows and flowers and beauty, and if you want to talk about Did trees. Did you see that? Oh, yes. They're just magnificent, except that they are so brilliant and so vivid as to really defy description. So you live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places on earth. How did that compare to the, this beautiful path leading to heaven? One of the problems that I and most people had when they came back from a near-death experience is that even the most intense beauty here on earth, even the most intense love here on earth is very, very pale in comparison to the intensity of the love and to the intensity of the beauty in God's world. Everything was far more intense. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. Pretty amazing. More intense, more real, more vivid than anything we could experience here. Indescribable would be the word I would use. 
I want to look at Romans chapter 8 as we move forward. It says this, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And we too wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Here's what I want you to understand. There's a couple things. The first thing is this, that this world, remember I said this world is a marred, broken version of the world to come because this world was, as it says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Let me explain something here really quickly. See, God created the, the earth, right? And we know that story he created, uh, and he put Adam and Eve in it. And uh, it says, it uses these words in the Hebrew, it says, every time he created something, and it was good, or it says, and it was so. And those two words, good, the Hebrew means pleasant, beautiful, beneficial, uh, the best. And the word so, it was so, means uh, according to his will, correct, enough, exact. So what it's saying, every time he created something, it was perfect. He created the perfect Garden of Eden, and the only problem that happened is then he put Adam and Eve in it. That's not the problem, but he gave us free will. He gave them the free will to choose to follow him or not. Well, we know the end of the story. What did they choose? They chose opposite. And sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, the curse of sin, which is death, entered the world. So now we live in a world where we die and decay, and everything around us dies and decays. It's a scientific principle, order to disorder. And one of the greatest things that happened negatively is that immediately following their sin, man became self-aware. Right? It says they sinned, and the next thing you know, they're like, uh-oh, I'm naked. Well, they didn't know that before. So what do they do? They start fashioning stuff to hide themselves, and they, right? We have been struggling with that same curse of self-awareness ever since. This world is a marred, broken version of the heaven to come because it's under the curse of sin, which humanity chose by not following him. Okay? Here's the great news, though, that it goes on to say in that verse in Romans that uh, creation is waiting eagerly for the day of restoration. And it says that creation look, looks forward to that day. See, in a sense, heaven will be like Garden of Eden 2.0, but we're all invited. Okay? It's going to be restored. And here, here, check this out. Here's a little comparison. You look at Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. We're going to look at the first couple chapters of Genesis. And then Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last couple chapters. And we see how God's plan is to restore heaven and earth. And just quickly before you understand this, the heaven that exists now isn't even the final heaven. There's going to be a more glorious heaven. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But look at this. Heavens and the earth are created in verse 1-1. And then in Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth and then in verse 16 in chapter 1, Genesis, the sun was created. And in Revelation, there's no need for a sun because the glory of God illuminates the whole place. Verse 5, the night is established. In Revelation, there's no night. Seas are created in Genesis. No more seas. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, the curse is announced. And in Revelation, there's no more curse. 
Death enters history, 319 of Genesis. In Revelation, there's no more death. Man is driven from the garden in Genesis, and man is restored to paradise in Revelation. Sorrow and pain begin, and in Revelation, no more pain, no more tears. Just stop there for a second and let me ask, how many of you would like to be in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more loss? Yeah. So already on face value, we can see the beauty of heaven is definitely worth driving towards. See, but what's beautiful about heaven isn't only, not just the aesthetics. We're not, we're not going to go to a museum when we die. We're not going to an art gallery. See, what's beautiful about heaven is not only what we see and experience, but also what we're becoming and who is there. And I'm just going to buzz through some things really quickly. And if you want me to, I can send you my notes and I can send you scripture references to support all this. We just don't have time to go into it, okay? But who's going to be in heaven? God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the angels who, who stayed with him, and all of us who've accepted his salvation into our life. That's who's going to be there. That's exciting. Want to know what makes heaven awesome? Is some stuff that's not going to be there. What's not going to be there? Death. Our earthly bodies. Sorrow, pain, the curse, night, weeping, wicked people, and the end. Anyone here wish you lived in a world where there was no wickedness? Bless you. Start with yourself, even. How many of you wish that you weren't even wicked? You know, you find yourself doing the stuff that you wish you weren't doing? Well, that's heaven. No one's dying. No tears. Here's what is in heaven. Joy, rest, peace, righteousness, reward, inheritance, glory, and the authority of God's word. Again, the authority of God's word says that when we get to heaven, that world will operate completely according to his way and his will. Perfection. And I want to look really quickly at just what Revelation, this new heaven and new earth description at the end of Revelation, what it says about what it will be like. Picking up in uh, verse 10 of chapter 21, it says this. And he carried me away in the spirit to a vast and lofty mountain and showed me the holy, sanctified city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, having God's glory filled with his radiant light. Now that's just John. Just so you know, John is writing this book. He had a near-death experience minus the death part. He just got a chance to see what heaven was going to be like. And he's describing it here. And he says this, The brilliance of it resembled a rare and very precious jewel like jasper, shining and clear as crystal. It had a massive and high wall with 12 large gates. Well, first of all, I see indescribable. Jasper is a stone. It's not see-through, but it's crystal in heaven. You can see right through it, but yet it's jasper. Check this out in uh, verse 18. It says this. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold, transparent like clear crystals. The foundation stones of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first stone was jasper and then sapphire and uh, goes on and on. I'm not even going to, there's 10 different, all these different stones, okay? <laughs> these beautiful jeweled cities. But then it goes to the end and I will read this and it says this, and the 12 gates, it talks about the 12 gates in the wall, it says this, the 12 gates, each separate gate was one single pearl. Love to get your hands on that thing, huh? 
and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent crystal. Look at verse 23, and it says, And the city had no need of sun nor of the moon to give light to it, for the glory, splendor, radiance of God has illumined it, and the Lamb is its lamp and light. Verse 27, And nothing that defiles or profanes or is unwashed will ever enter it, nor anyone who practices abominations and lying, but only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 3 says this, And the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were there for healing of the nations. And there will no longer exist anything that is cursed because sin and illness and death are gone. See, even the, 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 the trees and the water bring healing. It's a beautiful place. Just an amazingly, we're immersed in all this indescribable stuff. And not only is the creation like the grass and stuff like that, but we, we actually are too eagerly waiting for the day of our restoration because it tells us that we will receive new bodies that are free from death and decay. All right, let me ask anyone who's like, you know, 20, 30 or older, anyone ready for a new body? I'm, I'm just telling you, my back is killing me this morning. I'm ready for a new body. But even because it tells us, look, look at this. In Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels in festive gathering, and to the general assembly and the assembly of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven, and to God who is the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect, bringing them to their final glory. You have been made perfect. Girls, think about that day when you put on your jeans and you're like, yeah, those, right? Think about that. <laughs> Too long ago, someone said. <laughs> Here's the thing, and guys, you know, whatever. You make your own, however you think you're perfect. But here's the thing. Even those versions of what we think are perfect are not perfect because we're imperfect, so our thoughts don't even adequately express what perfection will be. And beyond what we look like, again, it's not just the aesthetics, it's who we become that makes us perfect. You know, so often when people describe heaven, they describe, well, I'll be able to do this, and it'll be like this, and they create their own personal paradise. paradise. But again, if you remember, the curse of sin was self-awareness that came on man, right? And I actually believe that when we get to heaven, and as you hear these descriptions, they're talking about everyone else because we lose our self-absorption and become focused on the glory of God. We lose ourselves. Think about that. You just saved an hour a day of getting ready. <laughs> Who cares what you look like? You won't even be thinking about that because you're perfect. You don't have to care about it. What I want to do this morning is just take a, another look at another testimonial. This is uh, Captain Dale Black. And uh, I just want you to hear his description of what it was like for him 
and the beauty that he experienced when he entered heaven. For 40 years he has been a commercial pilot, uh, flew for many years for a major uh, commercial airline. He's flown everything from 747s to Cessnas, everything in between. At age 19 he survived a plane crash that uh, killed the other two men in the cockpit. But you hit right near the top and you f then you free fell 75 feet. You hit it at 135 miles an hour. Now there's a plane down at the bottom and the fact that you are standing or sitting across from me right now is, is an amazement. They classified it as non-survivable. There was some bystanders that came by and saw all three pilots laying there motionless and one was clearly dead. The other two appeared dead and uh, there was fuel and toxic fumes everywhere. You were severely injured. They, they, they rushed you to the hospital. Um, they didn't figure you were gonna live. I get into the emergency room. I'm literally away from my body, Jim, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm, but I'm obviously not dead because I've never felt more alive. It's impossible to prove, but one thing I can say is I've never been the same. My life has always beat on a different drum, and it's because of this experience that we're talking about. Help me welcome Captain Dale Black. You know, uh, Dale, it's been so fun. Uh, we, we've, we've hung out the last day or so, and uh, just, you know, I mean, you, you are a captain, you're an engineer mind, and have run, uh, have run multi-million dollar businesses uh, in the airline industry, um, and yet this experience uh, has defined your life, hasn't it? That's an understatement, but yes, it is true. <laughs> so take, true. take us back to that day. That was the very plane yes. uh, that yeah. took the lives of the other two pilots with you. Yeah. Um, what what happened? What do you remember after that crash? I hovered above the crash site, watching, learning, asking questions. Followed the ambulance. My body was put in the ambulance, raced to the uh, hospital. Even though they thought I was dead to begin with, their life life came back in me. I went into the uh, hospital, but not in my body, but above it. In the emergency room, they were working on me, uh, doctors and nurses cutting my gray slacks and shirt off. It was all bloodied and I was a pretty much of a mess. But I watched this from what looked like a bird's eye view and I saw all the commotion going on. I'm asking questions. Uh, I had this life review of one moment in my life. Not all my life, just one moment of my life and it was when I was in the fifth grade where I had uh, prayed to receive Jesus into my heart as a young 11 and 12 year old kid and uh, I was full of zeal for God at that time wanted to live for him with my life and I was genuine and sincere but when this flashback took place in the emergency room when I was in this accident I realized that I was no longer that young kid who loved God I was a kid who had kind of lost my way and uh, loved my life and loved my goals and my dreams because it was all about me it was all about what I wanted 
wanted, not what God wanted. And I was sad about what had become of me. <laughs> I mean, I still knew God. I still knew there was a God. And I did know that Jesus was his Savior. But I had lost my way along the path of living for myself. And uh, But the grief and all suddenly uh, departed. And I moved out of the hospital into a deep outer space. Uh, long story there. It's in the book, of course. But I saw this city of gold uh, in quickly. Uh, this golden, brilliant, uh, it, it was white light in the center, but it moved out and it was a, a ball of heavy, thick gold light. And all the colors in the rainbow were in the white, but what I saw was the white and the gold, and as I got closer and closer, uh, Pastor John, I, I knew that this was the city, a holy city. I knew I was in heaven. You're, I, you're looking, you're coming, like flying into a city. Yeah, yeah, flying into a city, uh, approaching uh, and decelerating and descending. Why God would oh, do only that? Only God for, would do that for a pilot, right? <laughs> it's, Does that mean I'm going to be kicking a soccer ball through the gate? <laughs> it, it means that we're going to have to go through flying lessons here pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll help. No, but that's that's just so yeah. fascinating. It's and and you, so you're. It, it, did it feel like flying? I mean, no. There was no sensations of G forces or or uh, uh, physical distortion of the eyes squinting. None of that. There was no discomfort in in any way. But but travel was extremely fast, and then it began to slow down as I got near what I called the city of God. I, I knew it was the city of God, and I knew God reigned here, but he was in the light, and it was on the other side that there was a, a wall around the city. How big was the city? Uh, the city was huge, way larger than anything like Paris or London or Beijing or anything, Mexico City, way bigger than that. And what, what I saw, and I'm able to kind of quickly judge distances, you know, because you're trained to do that, but about 40 miles into the city, way back beyond the wall, uh, there was an event going on that is, uh, it's easy to describe when I write it, you know, because I can write better than I can speak. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, of course, the mountains and the flowers and the air, all the things that uh, you've mentioned before. But there was this humongous crowd of people and angels that I was able to see from a long, long way away. Over, I was looking over the wall, but still on the outside of the city. And this group of people and angels were moving with the music and they were moving in praise and swaying with the music and talk about oneness and unity and love. There, there's life in music. There, there is, there, the light is full of life and, and love and it's light that's palpable. It's thick. It, it's, uh, it has substance and weight to it and all the colors in the rainbow are in it but that light and I knew is coming from God 
I, I knew it. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew this was God. I mean, it's like you would say here on the earth, well, duh, you know. <laughs> it's God. The light comes from God, but in that light is the love of God. How do you describe the love of God? Well, you spend a lifetime trying to do that. It's unconditional love. It's not based on who you are, what skills or talents you have, how much money or success you have. It's based on just the fact that you and I are the creation of God and he loves us. He loved me and I could hardly... I told myself I wouldn't cry this time. <laughs> you know what? I... You know, you know what's so awesome? I cry. Stop it. <laughs> well, I, you Couple know. of engineers. <laughs> but Couple you of know, engineers every time oh you God. talk about this, <laughs> it comes from so deep within you, doesn't it? It does, because it's the Spirit of God inside the Spirit of His children. And I'm just one. But it's God who's alive, who has created us in His image. And when we get out of the way and we let the Spirit of God in us, then we can reflect His light and His love and His life in this world. And that's how we can conquer disease. And that's how we can conquer darkness in this world because it's the light of God in us. It's the love of God in us. And it's that life of God. And it all comes from Him like you were preaching so well earlier. <laughs> All right, let's mop up. <laughs> we really are engineers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as funny as that okay, is. Okay, so, so I want you to describe, since we're talking about the beauty, the beauty of the surrounding landscape around this city and in the city and the funniest thing is you're asking me who you know I've grew up with machines and I I enjoy machinery and and then there's nothing like that in heaven of course there's no, there's nothing mechanical there that I was aware of or never saw but it's all made by God and it's all made into perfection uh, how do you describe it. it everything's perfect I remember the first thing I noticed uh, coming into the city was if I may just the grass uh, the grass was so incredible uh, I mean it, it just it was an aha moment we would say I just took my breath away because I, I never seen grass that was wild and perfectly manicured yet mankind no human being no angel had had to touch it light came through the grass from the source of the light which is God himself it pulsated in the in the grass itself. Every blade was not met, bent or twisted. It was perfection. It looked more like velvet, and that's just the grass. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know what's so. You, you got you got to read Imagine Heaven because so many people talk about the same the grass it, and they can't stop describing it. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's like, wow! I mean, it's you know, crazy. I was seared by this experience a few years after the crash. I had to find some kind of job to pay for my flight training lessons, and it just so happened God had me become a golf course greens consultant. <laughs> 
So for a just year to rub half, it in, like yeah. this is not yeah. even close. I would huh? just rub that grass all day. Yeah, it was weird, but true story. I, a year and a half of my life was it was spent with grass on golf courses. That's just one story. So you told me as you were flying in back behind the city was a mountain range. Yeah, beautiful mountains, very much like these that you just showed, but uh, not mountains you would want to conquer in any way, but mountains you would just revere. What do you mean? Because of the majesticness that God created. You just look at the mountains and just go, oh, wow, oh my gosh. But maybe unlike you, because you might be there when you're there you might look at the mountains and take more time to do so but I was more interested in what was happening with the people the, the God's creation and you came down then onto the path and there were people there yeah talk about yeah. that there's a path there was a path that I was moving uh, on and uh, there's people to the left that were just congregating they were just gathering in fact it looked like a few of them were just getting in place just as I arrived and it made me think, rightfully so, I found out, that they were getting there to welcome me, to be there just when I needed them to be there. And I looked at these uh, wonderful people that were brilliantly lit with their uh, bright eyes and great smiles with genuine hearts. By the way, all of the light is still coming from God through the wall, through the people, through me and these people were at this point I saw family later but at this point it was important I think that God had me welcomed by the most wonderful loving kindness people ever and yet none were, were what we would call blood family and when I discussed this quickly through my heart to my guides, the information came to me very quickly from heart to head that this was my real family. This was my spiritual family. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. And everybody was about the same age. Nobody was old or decrepit. There was no, you know, nothing wrong with anybody. No scars to hide mine here. And and everybody looked about your age, if I may say. No, no, no. <laughs> 30. I joke, I joke to them uh, want 30. earlier. 30. But yeah, they 29 about 30. is what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. But yeah, they looked around at 30 ish, you know, in that era. And it was clear that the most important family is my spiritual brothers and sisters and there's millions millions hundreds of millions if you don't have family you will love heaven <laughs> because you have millions waiting for you and others have family in heaven already and the great news about that is we'll be able to uh, you know connect again and have this wonderful fellowship with our family at the, from the blood but the blood family on earth is not like it is in heaven. We're all blood family. It's the blood of Jesus. We're all bonded together and it's beyond words. <laughs> it's wonderful beyond words. Well, and, and we had a chance to sit down yesterday and <laughs> Dale has so much more to, to tell and in the, in the weeks to come you're going to hear because he went through that gate and met some blood relatives you did, had never met before yeah. and then saw the one who 
clearly took your breath away. And, and so we're going we're gonna to hear more, so stick with us, come back. Um, but let's thank Captain Dale Black. Uh, you know, it's just so amazing he was given this, this gift to get a glimpse of one moment in time that reminded him when he accepted Christ, the path that he was on and how he'd veered from that path. And through this experience, it kind of helped recorrect his course direction, get him back on. It's really uh, interesting because when you read through the Bible, it describes what our attitude towards heaven should be. It's pretty simple. It says we should earnestly desire it. We should be looking for it. We should consider it far better than now. We should put our treasure there because we're told that it's our home, the kingdom, the paradise, the better place, and the beautiful city. It's all right from God's word. And here's the thing that so many of us have traded the broken, marred version of God's glory on this earth. We've become attached. And we're living and putting our treasures here and we're storing up earthly treasures. And what we're told, if we believe in the heaven to come, that we should be banking all of our stores in heavenly accounts. And so, so for many of you here today, you may not have even taken that first step because we're told we don't even get to inherit heaven unless we've at least first accepted him as Lord and Savior of our life. So not only is it beautiful, but it's our eternal home. And if you ask yourself, I don't think anyone could be honest and say, this world has fulfilled every desire I have. You know, C.S. Lewis says, he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And when you have all these unfulfilled desires in this earth and you hear the description of what heaven will be, you understand that we were in fact created for the eternal world. That beautiful heaven. Here's what I want to do as we close out this morning. We're going to, I'm going to invite our greeters. We're going to take our offering again. As you think in terms of what God has done in order to give you the ability to spend eternity in paradise with him, the restoration of the Garden of Eden will be back in right relationship and perfection and beauty and glory and everything your heart could desire. Not the broken version here. You have an opportunity to say, thank you, God, for even blessing me with stuff now. I'm going to give it back. You can give on your app or in the bags as we do this. And then I just want to pray. I want to pray with us as we transition into some musical worship here. And I just want to be really clear that if you have not at least taken that first step in saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want, part, I want a piece of that heaven. I want to be there with you. Today is your day. Not tomorrow, not next week, next month. Today is your day because you might not have tomorrow. The curse brought death, and we know, don't know when that's coming. And if that's you, again, we have a team of people who would love the chance to pray with you today. And we're gonna pray now. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the eternal blessing you offer us. Life in perfection in your presence, your beauty, and your glory, in the world that goes completely according to your way and your will. 
And I just ask that you would guide us into following you where we've gotten off path, get us back on path, and if we've yet to take that first step, just pray this with me if this is you. Jesus, come into my life. Redeem me. Save me. Heal my brokenness with your blood and your death and resurrection on the cross so that I can be with you in eternity. Bless this in your name. Amen.